You've survived the worst. Trauma, loss, rejection. The reality is, your pain can be a crutch, or it can be the thing that launches you. You're listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you experience true freedom and breakthrough. Tune in each week as guests share their incredible life lessons from their personal stories and hear from experts who can give you the tools you need to stop surviving and start thriving. Here to help you find purpose through your pain is your host, Joseph James. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of Purpose Through Pain podcast. I have a, an amazing guest on here today. All my guests are amazing. So all my guests are amazing. This young lady... She not only has created programs and is a coach for people that have dealt with trauma from narcissism, she's also a survivor. And so she's been able to learn both roles on both sides of the picture. She was in a relationship with an abusive uh, narcissist. She is a certified meditation teacher, a destiny coach, and she teaches people how to shed negative patterns one step at a time and create a freer life through self-transformation and boundaries. She shares how to break the cycle, draw boundaries, and learn how to find your voice and inner Lionheart. Raven, Scott, thank you so much for being a guest on the show and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Absolutely. So I want to dive in. I mean, you just didn't, you know, go through and one day research narcissism and start coming up with how to help people get through abusive relationships, you went through it. You were yes. smack dab. You're, you're a testimony of your own product right now by self-discovery, so to say. Let's jump right into to that. And then, of course, we're going to backtrack to some of the things that led up to that. But talk to me about this relationship. Talk to me about the narcissism and how you transition and how you dealt with things. Well, you're absolutely right. I was smack in the middle and I was going through this crazy cycle. I would go into the real world in my job with heartache and pain and honestly hung over because I hated my life and I would drink to kind of drown the sorrow, but was afraid of what was out there, afraid to, to move away from my prison of comfort. And my friends would say, like, just look at me and say, like, wow, like, she looks really miserable. And they would try and help me and talk sense into me. And I would complain about the argument or whatever it happened the night before. And they would give me this, like, boost of confidence. Like, you need to go back and you need to, you know, share that you deserve to be heard. And, you know, he shouldn't treat you that way. So, therefore, I would. And I would go back that, that evening. And I would just get all twisted up and he, he would spin it against them. He would spin it against me and all of the lies and the deflecting of he wasn't responsible and how, you know, they were wrong in their opinion. He would go on and disprove their character in depth. And then all of a sudden I am singing his praises. I'm totally sold on his idea that he's not the one that's wrong. Our relationship is fine. They're the ones that are wrong. And then I would kind of feel like secure and fine. And then I would be mad at my friends because he would have turned it against them. And then I would lose that friend because they're like, you're crazy. Like you have no, like, I'm just trying to help you. And it was just this constant cycle of manipulation and abuse, heartache and love bombing. It was just insane. Wow. And where did you meet him at? <laughs> 
I met him at a Christian church. We oh. were both on the worship team together. Okay. All right. Um, so definitely not so, the, uh, the place that you would think. That a wolf happen. in sheep's clothing for sure. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so you guys met, you started dating. When did you start to notice his behaviors? Is this just something that kind of like gradually crept up and you just didn't really know? Or was this like from, you know, out of the get go? No, it was gradual. The first couple years, we started off as friends, really good friends. It was definitely a grooming process. It was very slow process. We had fun. We laughed. You know, he paid attention to me. He introduced me to his family, went to parties together, like just had fun. Um, I felt free around him because most of my childhood, again, related to my natal astrology chart, I felt very responsible. Like I led worship. I led small groups. Like I was always in this leadership role as a child. And with him, I felt like I didn't have to be responsible. I could be free. I could like live and have fun like you should when you're in your 20s. And so that felt good. And then it gradually became this control. Like when I started to, you know, push back on some ideas or for him, it started, I think it was also a gradual process of, I, he has me now, like I'm on his shelf. So when I'm not doing what he wants or he, you know, he's not getting the pleasure or whatever that he's expecting, he'll then, you know, turn it against me and say, say just really mean, awful things because he felt secure. I was on his shelf. So he didn't have to continue to groom me and love me. Like he had me around his finger. Mm, mm, Mm -hmm. Wow. And so at what point... At what point did things start to get to the point that you knew you were in a toxic relationship? You knew you had a narcissist on your hands. To be honest, I didn't really know I had a narcissist on my hands until I left the relationship. But I knew it was toxic after we got married. So we dated eight years. I continually was trying to make our lives be normal. Right. Everything with him, like narcissists are very paranoid. So everything with him was not normal. Like we go to the same restaurants. We don't like go out and have varieties. It's only my family. Like I'm not going to interact with your family. It was, I'm not going to get married. That's like what normal people do. And normal people are like below me. I'm not going to have children because I'm not going to be a, in his words, breeder. Like that's a really negative connotation too. And they're underneath me. So I kept trying to like, well, like, let's, let's get married. And we should, we've been dating for so long. Why not? So I kept having this illusion that I was going to change him. And he, he gave me enough breadcrumbs to keep me around to think that I was changing him, but it was always still under his control. So after we married after eight years, that's literally, that's when the things turned to the worst. Like on our couple days, we had like a newlywed vacation to Hawaii. And I actually wanted to drink myself to death because it was so miserable. And I thought this was to be the most romantic. I thought he was going to love me forever. He's married me. We're committed. And he did the same thing to me again, where it was like, he was dissatisfied with me. I did something he didn't like. I wasn't, you know, fun enough or whatever his expectations were. And um, he would throw a, a tamp- temper tantrum and kind of walk out off on me. And he would ignore me. And he would say, you know, mean things towards me. So that's when I was like, this isn't okay, but I still wanted to fix it. Right, right. So, you know, for those that may not know 
Maybe they know they're in a toxic relationship because you said you didn't know that it was a narcissism or he was a narcissist until after. Yeah. What is a narcissist? Explain to the viewers, to the listeners, what a narcissist is because it may be like, oh my God, that's, that's exactly what I'm with. Because a right. lot of us don't realize the relationship that we're in, you know, until it's, it's done, you know, and yeah. we, like you said, I'm sure if you would have known, hey, he's a classical narcissist, I'm not giving him another day, you know, but it went on for 10 years, you know, yeah. so talk to our listeners through what a narcissist is. Absolutely. I have a whole chapter devoted in my book, Empath and a Narcissist, which we'll talk about at the end, but I I'm, have a special gift for everyone. I have the definition, I have bullet points, and I'll cover a few here. A narcissist, and we want to be careful too of not labeling everybody who is selfish as a narcissist because it's an actual uh, personality disorder that it, you know, a clinical psychologist diagnoses. The problem with this is that most narcissists are not going to go get help because they think that they're above everybody else and they don't need help. So most of them go undiagnosed. So number one is that they have a huge ego. Like I keep talking about, like they place themselves on a pedestal and they put up huge barriers to make sure nobody sees any of their flaws. This uh, behavior disorder comes from their childhood. They're a deeply wounded child who has never emotionally grown out of it. And the only person that can heal that wound, just this is really important, is not you. No lover or new person into their life can heal or fix them. It's from the original wound source, which is typically their parents. Their parents were either emotionally unavailable to them, uh, hugely distracted, um, and just pushed off their child's emotions or completely ignored them. Also, a narcissist can be developed by being overly indulged and not having any boundaries for that child to experience normal worldly disappointments. So that's where that all comes from. So they have a huge ego. They believe in that lie that they are better than everybody else in the world. The pedestal that their parents might have put them on, that is their identity. And they also don't have any empathy for others. They are mm. emotionally incapable of having empathy. So you might think, well, what does that really mean? That, I mean, you can see the signs by sharing with them something that has emotionally touched you and they will not acknowledge it. Most normal human beings go, oh, wow, that's great. I'm happy for you. Or they'll say, You'll show, share with them, when you said this, this hurt me. A normal human being would say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you. The narcissist will immediately deflect and defend themselves. And they'll say, well, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. You know, you said this and this. And they'll start to spin a lie to defend themselves. So the lack of empathy for a human being is one of the other key traits of a narcissist. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you have traits of those things, but actually not be one, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that's why toxic is a really good word to say, because you're not diagnosing anybody. We all have a tendency to be selfish, right? right? Of course. And a little bit toxic to other people. That's kind of what our ego's job is, is to protect us. Yeah, so you can have traits. So again, that's why I say be careful not to call somebody a narcissist when they might be acting a little bit like one in the moment. Because if you can come to them from a place of, again, 
understanding and have a calm, intelligent conversation. Like when you said this, honey, like that, that really hurt my feelings. Once everyone's cooled down, right? We all kind of get our egos up defending and guarding each other and um, can hurt each other's feelings in the heat of the moment. Once it's cooled down, typically your, your person will find ways to try and communicate that they're sorry. And that's, that's a sign that that person wants to work on it versus being a narcissist. Yeah. The narcissist really will not ever try to work on it. They will always deflect and always put the blame on you. Yeah. And you know, this, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, growing up, you know, my story a little bit is just, you know, growing up in, in an abusive family. My dad was dealt with rejection, dealt with approval. And as you sit there and say it, I'm like, man, I'm like... Some of those things sound like me. And I, of course, I'm being vulnerable and transparent right now. And I can remember always, like, for there are times that, like, if I did something wrong, okay, I would defend myself. Like, if I did something wrong to you, I hurt your feelings. You said something to me. And then I'm like, no, I didn't. And, this, and I go into this justification and defensive posture to defend what I say, not because I'm not empathetic. But because as a child, I always had both myself as well as my siblings, we were always in a defense because we were always trying to get out of what was going to become the repercussion of some of the most simplest things in the world. Mm -hmm. That's really powerful. You know, and that I find myself now at the age of 42 having done through those things and then all of a sudden you get into a relationship and this person's like, Stop making excuses. Why are you justifying your actions? Why are you being so defensive? I'm like, I'm not, you know? But of course, (laughs) the good thing about all those things is when things would calm down, when the emotions would calm down, when the hype of everything calmed down, you know, you have somebody that loves you enough to say, hey, Joseph, you know, this is is what you did. This is what you said to me. And I'm like, man, I said that? Mm -hmm. It wasn't my hard intent. And, 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 And then be empathetic over the situation and be like, well, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to do that. But mm. listening to you talk about this, it makes me think I'm like, man, I was I had those character traits because I was always having to defend because everything to my dad was no matter what we did, right, wrong or indifferent, it was never good enough in his eyes. Okay? Mm. You make an A minus, well you should have made an A plus. It wasn't good enough. So what do you start doing? But dad, I did my best. Defense, right? I'm defending myself. I did my best for this, 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 and this. I remember one time I was sitting on the floor, and it's very few times that we ever didn't have family dinner at the dinner table. My dad was really adamant about we had dinner at the dinner table. And I remember sitting on the floor, TV was on, and I had my plate of food, and I had my fork in my hand. And it was just kind of like sitting in my, just kind of holding in my hand. And dad starts to pray. Well, as soon as he started, I relaxed my hand, and the, the fork made a clink sound on the plate. Well, what does my dad do? He gets up and he whoops me because I wasn't paying attention during prayer time. I was playing to him. I was playing with my food. But something as simple as that, I was constantly defending myself because I was ultimately trying to talk my way out of getting spanked for something that really didn't deserve a spanking or a beating for a lot of times, you know? And it's crazy that you say that because I have seen that pattern over my life and be like, I always have found myself defending my, my actions, not 
that I didn't want to take ownership. Nobody really wants to take ownership when they hurt somebody. But if they sit there and think about it, from like, you know what? You're right. I did say those things. I'm really, really sorry. You know, and a lot of us go into that self-defense mode from the very get-go of, no, I didn't say it like that. That's not what I meant, you know? And then we kind of like, you know, backtrack. But that's interesting that you say that about a narcissist. It kind of relieves me a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, well, thank God I don't, I'm not, I'm not full blown, you know? <laughs> no, you're not. And what I want to say to that also, the part I missed is also growing up, what our parents do, we pick up, you know, from mirror neurons. So it's kind of like monkey see, monkey do. And also your ego and yourself is you're conditioned to act out of self-preservation. Yeah. You were stuck in a situation mm. where he possibly was on the spectrum. Obviously, he lacked empathy in, you know, many areas for his children. You know, usually when your child gets a 90, you want to encourage them and say, that's excellent. Good job. And I know he had his reasons for you to get 100, but people aren't perfect. Right. So having that emotional availability for you was not there. Yeah. So you also, you know, people can subconsciously just pick up those patterns and become a narcissist because their parent was a narcissist and they, right. that's just what they picked up yeah. and that's how you live and just a subconscious mirror neuron. You model what you see. Wow. Yeah. That's, this is very interesting to me because of, you know, thank God, you know, I've never been in a relationship like that. I've never really dealt with that, even though I've dealt with the, tr the pain and the trauma of my dad, you know, and it's definitely led things, but it's even, it's crazy how it starts off in, in somebody that has developed narcissism, you know, where it stems back to that relationship to, with their parents. And psychologists will say all day long that the relationships that we find ourselves in as adults, and I won't say necessarily older adults, but even just when you, when you get to that age of being in relationships, it stems off of the very first relationship you ever had, and that's with your parents. So yes. talk to me about the relationship with your parents and how that, because the way it's kind of looked at as if you go from relationship to relationship to relationship and they've never worked out for you, you must have had a very bad relationship from your family. But you had a little bit of the opposite. So talk to me about your relationship with your mom and dad growing up. Yeah, definitely. And I want to say on the surface, I had the opposite. And it's taken me a while to really see the ugliness that has been swept under the rug. There's another type of um, narcissist that they are covert narcissists. They're all about charity and serving others and serving in their community, you know, and doing what's right for their fellow people. But then on the other side, they have major biases towards certain types of people. They stick only within their clique. I'm just going to use Christianity for an example because that's my upbringing. And they don't really reach out other than their missions trips yeah. to spread the word of God. They're not really serving, even though they're serving, they're, they have an agenda. I mean, so many horrible agendas have been because of, you know, Christianity. So you've got those type of narcissists or at least toxic people on the spectrum that have their own problems, their own insecurities. Right. So I had a beautiful upbringing. I was privileged. I was sheltered. I went to a Christian school. It was very small and private. My, you know, mother and father were very loving. There was no like harsh language. 
the only time that I felt like there was harshness is when they would get mad and silent. And for me, as a person who is very sensitive to people's body languages, making sure I was, you know, people pleasing, I just was like the perfect child just so that I didn't like ruffle any feathers. I didn't want anyone yelling at me. I didn't want any of that. So I was sheltered. It was it was a beautiful childhood on the outside. And everyone sh- tells me I should just be grateful, at least in my family. <laughs> you should be grateful. Your mother and fam- father loved you. But in my experience, there was no freedom of, uh, how do you say, broader ideas. There was no street smarts taught to me. There was the, the sheltering set me up to be a victim to a very manipulative person. And of course they didn't know, they didn't try. And honestly, now to this day, they also get easily duped by somebody who says one thing, but really means the other. Like they don't have street smarts themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You said something earlier about, you know, you growing up and being in leadership as a young child, you know, and then finally finding this guy that now basically became the leader. Yeah. Is that is that a trait of narcissism or is that something you just felt comfortable with because of your upbringing and always had to you had to learn how you had to learn your street smarts. You know, and I'm still learning them. Yeah. <laughs> we all we all are, you know, but a, a lot of things is like I remember being in leadership as a young kid and that was also an outlet for me to ultimately be in control. Because I couldn't control my atmosphere. I couldn't control anything around me as a, as a young kid. Because I was like you. I wanted to be the peacemaker. I wanted to bring peace in a traumatized, very chaotic household. You know, and, and it's, it's even nice now sometimes just like you find a strong-willed person in your life. Or whether it's a business relationship or whatever the case is. It's just like, man, I'm finally glad I can have somebody that can just take over the reins so I can sit back and take a breather. You know, do you think... That's why you went into this relationship is to find that that relief, like you were saying about, I just need somebody to take the reins from me. I'm doing this, been doing this my whole life. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, I was exhausted from being responsible, from being the peacekeeper. I was exhausted. I, I kind of was like a mini adult when I should have been a child. And I think it is definitely a compensation of, I didn't have control of, certain things in my life. Also in my book, I wrote about, um, I had an older sister who moved out under duress and I felt very abandoned. And all of a sudden I didn't have a sister really because she was kind of ousted and shamed the family, like as far as the, the, you know, in relation to their beliefs. So I always felt responsible. Like I can't do that to my parents also because I saw how much pain and suffering they went through and it was all their own made up pain and suffering. It wasn't like she went to jail or anything. It was just, she met someone she loved. She had a child early in age and they moved out and they lived together. But in the realm of what, you know, beliefs that I grew up with, that was like sin, the ultimate sin. Yeah, absolutely. So... I just felt so much responsibility to make them happy and to be like the best Christian I could to make sure everyone was happy and I didn't fail them also. And it felt so good to walk away from the church when he said, yeah, this is like BS. I don't know what's going on with these people. They're crazy. And I was like, 
kind of like in my head the whole time. Yeah, you're definitely right about that. And have, having a uh, fun, you know, it's like, I just got, I was able to let loose and have fun, which is, is good, but I was certainly groomed to be held on tight. And I wanted to say in my, my part of my uh, book I wrote, and it was so shocking when he came and the, the end of our relationship, he said, I chose you for this very reason. I handpicked you. And I was like, you did what? Like you picked me. So I was so malleable and controlling and like a blank canvas. He's like, yeah. And that was another awakening moment of this is not a genuine, you know, genuine relationship. I am in really deep. Does a narcissist know that they're a narcissist? No. Do they know what they're doing? No, they don't think anything's wrong with them. It's it's normal behavior. it's, no, it's, it's how they've always behaved from childhood for survival. The other thing too is the parents are very enabling of the child. So they don't ever call them out and say, you know what, that was really inappropriate for you to do or say. They're always like, oh, my child is so smart. My child is the best, my la la la. And it's just enabling all across the board. So if you're in a relationship with a narcissist, the first thing you should do in healing is go home and smack his parents. Yeah, get him and the parents in the therapy together. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. So, maybe. I guess uh, the, the question is: is I understand what you're saying about that's their upbringing, that's how they've been acting. Do at any point do they ever see the common sense of maybe I shouldn't talk to somebody like that? Maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe that's just wrong. Do they do they ever have that realization? I mean, I think a small percentage do, and that small percentage does go to therapy and. I can't remember her name, but there was a doctor that was speaking and I was listening to her because she's an expert on narcissism. And she said that she's really good at her job in helping people and with the therapy. And she can only get the narcissist. Like, let's say, right, like scale of one to 10, 10 is a narcissist as far as emotionally unhealthy. She can only get them down like a couple notches. It's just once they're 18, it's kind of locked in. Not wow. to give anyone no hope, but... Even when they're actively working on reducing their narcissism, when it's a diagnosed disorder, it only can be lessened by a couple notches. Wow. So would you say that if somebody, for our listeners, if they found themselves in a relationship with a narcissist, not saying there's not any hope because we know that God can heal anybody, you know, and we know that therapy can definitely be a huge help and even the 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 vehicle for healing, okay, um, would you say very carefully that's probably not the best relationship to be in and not the fact that you, like, listen, you just, not that there's no hope for the person, but on the scale of getting better, is this somebody you really want to live with? Right, and it's a hard evaluation. I would say you can only control yourself. Yeah. You can't control what others do and how they heal. And if you look at yourself and your situation, what can you do to protect yourself from this heartache? Do you need to make a plan to start making money so you can get your own place? Do you need to go to your own therapy to kind of have a peace of mind? You know, what do you need to do to be able to operate and thrive in life? Because typically if you're involved with a narcissist, you're not thriving in life because they've got so much control and power over you. What are they trying to control? Are they trying to control 
your thought process of you're an ugly individual, you'll never make it past, you'll, you'll never be with anybody else? Are they trying to go after your, uh, your security in yourself? Are they trying to control your actions or is it a mix of everything? It's very, uh, when you're in their presence, their whole goal of what to control is their elevated sense of self. It's okay. constant self-survival and constant protection for no one to see behind the curtain. So especially those who get close to them, it takes extra effort and extra manipulation to keep you down and keep you believing that you suck, they're better, you know, you don't know anything, they know everything. It's just constant power struggle. So really it's all about power and it's power over their scenario. They are very paranoid. So they have to have their life and their scenario controlled by them. It's power over the other person and it's power over that curtain always staying up and always looking perfect. Wow. And I don't know if you can answer this question. Why are, and I'm just going to use, I don't know of a lot of female narcissists, narcissistic women, okay? I'm sure there are, though, mm, you know? There are. But I, I have definitely heard a lot more about men uh, just because I've done some coaching yeah. for women that are in narcissistic relationships. You know, when it comes to that, how do they not recognize they're in it or is it a denial that, is it a denial or is it a belief that they can't get out of it or can't find something better? Yeah, it's a whole thing about self-worth. You know, if you already are questioning your self-worth, which is a big thing in our culture with, you can be a man or a woman. Like, let's say you're overweight or you don't look or you don't act like you fit in. You've been bullied as a child. You have different scenarios that have really emptied your bucket of self-worth. They're going to harness that and they're going to reel you in to believing that forever because that's their control over you. So it's, it's something that you're not aware that you're being controlled or in it because your self-worth is so low. You already believe the lies. They're just amplifying all the lies in your head mm. bigger. Wow. And that's what makes it even harder. Yeah. That's what makes yeah. it even harder to recognize you're in it, to get out. And yeah, it's just, it's just a cycle of heartbreak after heartbreak because they'll reel you in and they'll love bomb you and get you back on their pedestal. You're their little trophy. And then when they feel comfortable that you're secure on the shelf, they'll knock you down and keep you, keep where you need to be. Wow. That's, uh, I thank God I'm not one. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's, it's crazy to hear some of this, you know, my, and I, I look at my, I remember asking my mom one day, my mom passed away in 2005. And so I think my parents were married right at 39, 38, 39 years at that time. And, uh, you know, I do know that the abuse to my mom started before they were ever even married, okay? And I'm not going to make excuses for my father, you know, because I don't know why, you know, he abused her. But of course, you know, you have, you have things like, I don't know what the root was, but I know there was other symptoms, you know. Vietnam, PTSD, you know, things like that. The way he was, he, was, he was brought up, I don't know that he ever saw his dad hitting his mom. That, to my knowledge, it, was, it never happened, but I don't know. But you, I remember asking my mom, is like, why did you stay in this abusive relationship for so many years? You know, and ultimately is, you know, we were born and raised in church. You know, we were born and raised, we're faith-based believers. And so, of course, you know, 
back in the 60s and 70s and even into the 80s, divorce was shunned upon big time. You stayed in it no matter what, you know? And I'm sure that was an aspect of it for, for my mom. But for her also, it was the fact that she did not want a split family with four kids. She said she stayed in it for the, because of the kids, mm-hmm. you know? But I'm like, okay, what about before the kids, you know? Yeah. What would you encourage listeners that are finding themselves in a relationship that they feel they can't get out of? What are some action steps? How would you encourage them at this moment Maybe they don't know they're in a narcissistic relationship. Maybe they just feel like it's, I mean, this is toxic. This is just not what things are supposed to be like. What would you, how would you encourage them right now? I would first and foremost say that you are worthy of whatever you're dreaming of and in for a split second think might be better outside of this toxic relationship. There, it is better. You might be staring, for me, I have the same experience. I stared at the possibility of leaving and I tried seven times. Mm. And always came back, always got magnetized back. And it's okay if you try to leave and fail, because typically on average, it takes about 12 times to actually leave and stay away. So just know you're, you're worth it. You're worthy of your happiness, of respect, of someone treating you with kindness and empathy, and then make a safe plan. Sometimes people aren't free to be able to just walk up and leave. They do might do have kids. So, you know, get first, get the professional help from a therapist or coach. Second, make sure that you have a plan in place. That is you, ha- you get a job, you start figuring out how to get your money in place. So you have independence. So start and living legally for you. Figure it out. Start living yeah. for yourself. Yeah. And you might have to do it secretly for a while or quietly or, Maybe you need to just be bold and just do it, but you know your scenario best and what's safest. Yeah. And I just want to encourage, just kind of go off of what you're saying. I just want to encourage our listeners, you know, everything you need in life is already within you. It's already there. We've harnessed it. We've have suppressed it, but it's, it's all deep down inside you. And no matter who is saying things over you, you know, you have to start believing in yourself. You have to. Because at the end of the day, nobody is going to believe in you like you yourself. Not your mom, not your dad, not your husband, not your wife, not even your kids. Nobody will ever believe in you the way you can believe in yourself. And you don't need the approval of other people because as my good friend Jeremy Herriter said yesterday on our podcast, approval is nothing but somebody's opinion over you. And we know that we don't want other people's opinion most of the time because it doesn't line up with what we're doing anyways. And so I just encourage our listeners right now that there is a way out. You have the ability to to reach deep down inside you. No matter how low you feel, you're a great individual. You're a beautiful individual inside and out. And God has a purpose and a plan for your life. So I just wanted to encourage our listeners with that right there. So Raven, when it comes to, let's talk about your book a little bit. You have a book that you wrote in the midst of were you did you start to write it while going through it or were you already out of the relationship? Oh no, I was out of it and about eight years in the healing process from it. Wow, so definitely a long a long journey of of healing for you. Yes, yeah. A long journey again, because and I'm sure it is for most people, but it starts in your childhood, like you said, yeah. your your first relationships form your romantic relationship. Right. so. 
yeah, it, it, it was a big call. When I was surprisingly pregnant with my first, I was like, okay, God, this is, this, this means, and I remember thinking, if it's a boy, I'm okay. If it's a girl, this means I got a lot of work to do. And when I got the ultrasound back that it was a girl, I was like, okay, God, oh you got a lot of work for me. Okay, wow. let's do this. So your yeah. book kind of has two aspects to it, I should say. One was written in the midst of everything that you were going through. And you mentioned earlier about this kind of from a place of anger, from a place of bitterness and unforgiveness. Talk about that part of it right there. So yeah, there, I edited my book multiple times because it took me two years to write. I came from a place of anger and bitterness, thinking I wasn't anger and bitter, but I still was. Thinking, I can write this book. I'm going to get my story out. And I was able to, to kind of edit my language more. I was able to share all of that, you know, nitty gritty experience um, from a place of, you know, service to others. Like, this is my story. I'm probably very similar to you, if you can relate to me, the reader, or maybe you're experiencing something worse or less, you know, there's such a range, but this is it. You know, I, I share my, how I even got into it. I share like what I share with my sister, you know, how I felt I was also bullied. So I share a story about the bullying and the abandonment. I share about how I met him, how it was amazing. And, you know, he was my first love. I share how it goes all downhill. I share my lowest point where I wanted to drink myself to death on that beautiful Hawaii beach, you know, and I, and I share how I healed, how I experienced PTSD from the relationship and, you know, so much more. And after each chapter, I share with you a treasure that I lost or gained through that experience in life. And then um, a tool for my emotional toolbox that will help you on your healing path. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. And what is the name of the book? The name is Empath and the Narcissist, A Healing Guide for People Pleasers. Wow, that's awesome. And you shared earlier with me that you were going to give our listeners a gift. Yes, your listeners are getting a special gift. You're, I um, will share with you the link and you're getting this book for free. Wow. Thank you so much. That's so awesome. Um, I, it's almost like I want to say everybody give her a hand clap. Of, you know, <laughs> clap there. <laughs> so you've been on this journey now for quite some time. Okay. What has a transition been like once you finally uh, left him, got the divorce and where you're at in your life right now? How is it transition or how is it on the other side of the abyss? Well, now I guess, how is it on the other side of the abyss now, now that you've transitioned <laughs> because it's been a journey for you? Yeah, it has. Talk, yeah, talk about where you're at now. I am so grateful every single day. I'm at this place where I thought that I wouldn't have what I have at all. I feel so grateful that I'm thriving, that I have all these tools. I have a beautiful, you know, family and that's very supportive and loving. We're all very emotionally intelligent. I'm super tuned into all that. And yeah, it's just, it feels like I'm on the bright side of the rainbow, you know, from where I was looking into this deep cavern of just fear and doubt, thinking no one else is going to love me, but this guy who's treating me like crap, but this is all I deserve. Like coming from that place to this place of no one, not even my parents, my sister, anybody will ever treat me like that ever again. You know, no matter who they are, not going to happen. Wow. Yeah. And th there's no doubt that that has to be a great place to be a great feeling to be. 
It very much is a great feeling to be. Absolutely. Awesome. How are you helping people today? What What are you doing from what you've experienced? Um, like uh, we mentioned, I am a destiny coach. So I am helping uh, with my book and the free healing guide. I host moon circles, I'm helping you with my favorite exercise is the release and burn exercise, where we just get to release all the negative emotions and patterns that are holding us. And then I'm also planning in the future, probably closer to the fall or winter, a masterclass, you know, helping people on the other side. Because a lot of times you exit these relationships and you're kind of like, was I just like, was that bad? Like what just happened? Kind of a thing. You just get so fogged in, in their agenda. So I will be creating and orchestrating a masterclass for all of this healing to happen with small groups and finding your destiny. Um, That's why my whole thing is about unlocking your destiny, pulling from human design readings and your astrology chart, figuring out what is you, you know, where is the light? Like what direction is my path? What am I doing next in this next chapter of my life? Yeah. And you also have a podcast. I do. Yes. I love serving people with a podcast too, because I have amazing guests on as well, which you'll be going on. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's called Unlock Your Destiny with Raven Scott. And it's broadcast on all the platforms you can think of to listen to a podcast. Unlock Your Destiny. Awesome. What does, when I say the words purpose through pain, what does that mean to you? It means that nothing is happening to you. Everything is happening for you. We're on a karmic journey. And even if sometimes it sucks and it's, there's a lot of pressure, just like me, like I shouldn't have been in that abusive relationship. I can't say that because there was a purpose that I experienced it and God, the universe knew I was strong enough to endure it and get out so that I now have this purpose of sharing my story and other people's stories to help those who may be stuck or lost. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Why do you choose to be so vulnerable through this and share your story? Because if I'm not vulnerable and I'm silent, I'm not helping anybody. My soul is yearning to be here to share my story. And as much as, like I said, it might have sucked while I was in it, it's just, I have the empathy. I know exactly what you feel. So who better than to help others through it? I mean, you it's really easy to maybe talk a good talk, but if you haven't walked it, you can't truly have the empathy yeah. to help others. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so interesting that you say that last part because in, and I've shared this with my listeners before, you know, in the Bible in Hebrews four, it says, for we have not a high priest who can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And so you look at the things that we go through and I like what you said about it's happening for us. Pain's not happening to us, but for us, you know, we can't touch what we can't feel. Yes. You know, I don't know what it's like to lose a child. I've never, I've never lost one. I don't know what it's like to be in a relationship with a narcissist or go through a divorce. But I know what it's like to be raised in an abusive family. I know what it's like to always deal with rejection and le- looking for other people's approval and wanting to fix things which led to control to my mom dying when I wished it was my dad, and then my dad and my wife dying all in the same month, you know? I know what those things feel like. And just to be able, the fact that being able to help other people because of what happened for me, you know? So I, I really like what you said about that. It's not, 
It didn't happen to me. It happened for me so I can, I, I can openly help other people. So what is the best way for people to get in contact with you? If they want to reach out to you and... and Absolutely. Yeah, probably the easiest place to find me is Instagram at unlockyourdestiny.ravenscott. Okay. All right. Unlock you are destiny. So for yes. you, for your destiny, unlock you are destiny dot yeah. Raven Scott. Correct. Awesome. 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 What's some last things you can leave with our listeners that have either gone through this or going through it. Hope to God never have to go through it, but may you never know what may happen. What are some things that you can leave with them with action steps to get where they're at currently to being into a place where they're thriving in life? Yeah, I would say just get started on finding some healing modalities, which I've created a companion guide that's free um, with my book that shares all of the different ways that I was able to start healing and be healed on my uh, spiritual journey. If you want to start with that, that's free at my website, unlockyourdestiny.net. And the next step to really elevate is to find a therapist or a coach. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Yeah. Raven, thank you so much for, for joining us today. This has been very insightful to me. I'm glad that I am. I don't have some of those traits, but definitely had some things that I've learned to deal with throughout my life. And, and I'm, I'm glad that I am, you know, can recognize those things and or have people in my life that can help me recognize those things. One last question. How would you say if somebody is dealing with somebody that is in a narcissistic, that's, that's a narcissist, if they can't be the ones that help them, how did they ultimately, I guess, convince them, so to say, to seek help? Well, the only thing you can do for yourself to defend yourself against a narcissist is to draw boundaries. So maybe you need to, I don't know what stage you're in, but maybe you say, you know what, I can't see you until you start counseling with somebody. Let's say you're dating them. And if they don't, if they refuse to go to counseling, then break up with them because you're just dating. No problem. Yeah. But um, if you're married, you might need to find a safe place. That was my plan. It was, I, it was starting to get into physical abuse. So I found a safe space and I was planning on going to therapy together and offering that. And then that just didn't happen because that wasn't in the cards. So that might be a strategy is finding a safe place to live. Say, you know what? I need a break, uh, draw a boundary. You know, I'm, I really want to work on a relationship, but it needs to be with a professional and have them find it because they love control if yeah. they're even willing. Mm. Yeah, but it's really tough. Boundaries, no matter what, whatever you're needing to do to draw the boundary, whatever works for you, you need to draw boundaries. Awesome. Raven, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed you being on the show. And guys, please reach out to Raven. We're also going to leave you a link on the episode notes to where you can find her free book, a free tool to help guide you, okay, in what you're going through and also share, um, listen or read her story more in depth about what she went through and how she was able to get out of it. So thank you guys so much for listening and stay tuned for more future episodes of Purpose Through Pain. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to finding true freedom and breakthrough.